to Everyday Nonviolence. This podcast is produced by Friends for a Nonviolent World, or FNVW. FNVW works to promote and create peace and justice in our community by using the principles and practices of nonviolence to transform conflict and to address the root causes of violence. The Everyday Nonviolence podcast highlights people whose stories deepen our understanding of violence and whose lives demonstrate the many ways nonviolence can promote healing and social change. From 1964 to 1973, the United States dropped more than 2 million tons of ordnance on Laos during 580,000 bombing sorties, equal to a plane load of bombs every eight minutes, 24 hours a day for nine years. About 30% did not explode on impact and are still in the ground. Less than 10% have been cleared since the last bomb was dropped in 1973. Laos remains the most bombed country per capita in history. Legacies of War is the only United States-based educational and advocacy organization dedicated to increasing awareness about the American secret war in Laos. Its primary objective is to secure funding for the removal of unexploded ordnance or UXO in Laos, Cambodia, and Vietnam, while also advocating for survivor assistance and mine risk education. I'm Jaren Peterson-Dean, your host for today's episode, and I'm looking forward to this conversation with Danae Hendrickson, the Chief of Mission Advancement and Communications. Danae, thanks for joining me tonight. Thanks for having me. I have to say that in preparing for the interview, I was surprised and horrified at the continuing devastation being experienced as a result of the bombing of Southeast Asia by the United States. And I'm sure I'm not alone in that. Is that a fair statement? It is a fair statement. Myself, I'm a second generation Lao American. And I've just learned about this history, you know, in the last five years. And my mom came over as a refugee. She lived through the bombings. And so it's very common for even people that lived through it to not really know the details of what happened. And, you know, as Americans, they, the American public, Congress didn't know about the secret war, um, even while it was happening um, until the later years. So um, I think... It's it's fair, really, not to know about this, and that's really why we call it the secret war. Can you describe in more detail the nature of the ongoing impact? Yeah, so it's really a, an enormous problem. I recently have been calling it a crisis. 2023 marks 50 years since the last American bombs were dropped on Laos, August 14th, 1973. Um, the last bombs fell on Laos. And so it's been five decades. And still, there are millions of unexploded ordnance. We say ordnance because it's not just bombs. It's shrapnel. It's things like Agent Orange. It's artillery. And so we use the term ordnance. But really, you know, picturing it as unexploded bombs. 
a majority of those are cluster munitions, which have been in the news most recently um, with the United States shipment to Ukraine. So the American public is really learning more about that specific bomb, cluster munition. And when they were dropped on Laos, you know, over 50 years ago, and even today, the failure rate of those munitions are really high, um, with over 30% not detonating on impact. And so you have these baseball size bombs that are being dropped in one casing of a cluster bomb. There are hundreds of munitions that are, those are the baseball sized um, type bombs. And so they scatter across, settling in very fertile soil. Laos is a really fertile country. Um, most of it is farmable. The land that's not farmable is um, just really mountainous. And so what happened was these little bombs fell into fertile land and didn't explode because the land was so soft. So even today, over 50 years later, if a farmer is tilling their soil, if a rainstorm happens and there's flooding and it unearths a mountainside where there's cluster munitions or other ordnance and a child happens upon it, it will still detonate. So it's all 17 provinces of Laos are contaminated. So, you know, we're making progress because we see it as an issue that can be solved and must be solved. And every bomb that is safely detonated or found is one that's not found by a child. And so, you know, to look at it in that lens kind of gives you hope and helps you to see a possible progress in this. Why do people stay? Is it tradition, heritage, culture, the true love of country, all those things when life is so hard, what makes people stay? I think it's exactly what you said. It's all of those things. It's love of country, culture, history. And on the other hand, we know how much it takes to uproot and move. And the people that fled Laos didn't want to leave. They didn't want to leave Laos, but were forced to. And, you know, even though the ordinance is such an ingrained part of everyday life in Laos, there's still so much beauty. Um, there's obviously millions of people living there safely every day. And there's so much beauty in the culture and the history, you know, beyond the war. Um, and we, even though that is our focus at Legacies of War, we really try and highlight, you know, those beautiful parts of the landscape and the, the culture. But a lot of, like I said, a lot of these um, heavily contaminated areas are in very remote, very poor areas where moving is just really never an option in, I think, their minds. And they have a coffee farm and they're just forced to take the risk and farm the land regardless of if it's safely cleared or not. You have a personal connection with these issues. Would you be willing to talk a little bit more about your family history and how you came to this work? Absolutely. That journey begins on New Year's Day in 2013 in North Dakota, uh, my mom died and she fought a really long battle with ALS. At her funeral, you know, it was a cold North Dakota winter day and we were all sitting on our church pew. And at the end of the pew were my mom's cousins. And it was my very first time meeting them. Um, there were three cousins there, you know, the only <laughs> other Lao people at the funeral. 
And it really just cemented how much of a mystery my mom was to me. Growing up, I'd only ever heard really one version of her story, you know, leaving her brother, sister, mom, fleeing through the night, you know, staying in caves, crossing the Mekong River, and living in a refugee camp for two years. But I always wanted to know more about her childhood. My dad's from North Dakota, and I heard so many stories, maybe too many stories about farm life in North Dakota and all the trouble they got into. And I just really wanted to learn more about my mom's childhood. And it was nothing that she was ever interested in talking about. And so as a kid, you know, you don't really realize the complexities of that. She died. I moved to Washington State with my husband and continued to want to reconnect with my Lao heritage in an effort to really try and learn more about my mom. And that's what led me to Legacies of War. I found their website while I was nine months pregnant, sitting unemployed during the pandemic, scrolling through my phone and learned about this history that was so personal to me. I learned what unexploded ordinance was and that my family that was in Laos was still living amongst this ordinance as they farm their rice paddies and, you know, send their kids to school. I just felt this urgent need to want to help. And so I became a volunteer, a donor, and then later became part of the staff. And it's just been an amazing opportunity. I'm so grateful. Um, it's connected me back to Laos and in a really amazing way where, you know, I'm healing, I think, generational wounds and learning more about my mom and what she lived through during that time, meeting other people that are on a very similar journey to me. And then also embarking on this new journey of learning how to cook new law recipes with my own family and my son. It's just been a really great opportunity, and I'm grateful for this organization that is Lao-led doing this work. You know, it's the only organization that's really advocating for this issue and just really proud to be a part of it. And now your son gets to experience that pride in your culture, and that's really great. Yeah, it's really special. I mean, I think often how much I wish my mom was there, you know, as I raise my son and think about how she would be such a better grandmother probably than she was a mother and so so much nicer. But it is really healing to be able to share the little that I do know and the recipes that I do know. And Your website identifies three focus areas. Would you be willing to talk about the work Legacies is doing in each, starting with advocacy, then community engagement and diaspora-led programs? Advocacy was really the reason why Legacies of War started. Our founder, Chanapaka Mongsa, founded Legacies of War in 2004. And it was really in response to the lack of awareness that there was about the history. She's a Lao American herself that came over as a refugee as a child. And early on, after founding Legacies, you know, she would visit the State Department, um, Congress, and in response to her question, you know, why is funding so low for this cleanup? Um, at that time, it was about 1.8 million a year for Laos specifically. And they said, well, no one's really come in here and asked us that. So that leads you to, okay, we need to advocate for this because we know this issue. We know that the U.S. is responsible. So 
together with community members. She traveled around the U.S., the globe, and really raised awareness of this issue. And, you know, once you know about this, the next step is how can I be involved? How can I help? How can I further this awareness? And so advocacy has been key for Legacies of War. Since 2004, like I said, funding was $1.8 It's grown substantially over the years, in large part due to our advocacy work. When I say that, I mean Legacies is constantly growing our relationships with Congress. We're meeting with members of Congress to bring awareness to this issue, to um, ask congressional members to join the UXOD Mining Caucus. We are submitting appropriations requests for not only Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam, but globally. So we're really a leader on the Hill when it comes to talking about cleaning up ordinance around the globe. The next focus area would be community engagement. What is Legacies doing in that area? So like I said, this year, we've marked the 50th year since the last American bombs dropped on Laos. And so we decided that we were going to do all we could this year to make the most of it. You know, as we know, a 50th anniversary is a big deal um, when we're talking about anything. And so we knew that we'd be able to really garner the attention of the media and bring more awareness, grow the awareness of this issue in our work. So together with community partners um, around the U.S., we've reached over 100,000 participants so far in our tour. And we've been all over the U.S., um, starting in Berkeley, um, most recently, Sarah was in Laos, um, marking the the exact date of the last bombing. And we have a couple more stops ahead this year. I was in Minnesota um, this summer as well for one of our tour stops, which it had been over 10 years since we had been there. And so that was really incredible. And so we we use culture, history, art to work with community members Each event has looked a little bit different, but really it's focused on education, right? Bringing awareness to this issue and then talking about how those community members can be involved in advocacy. What has Legacies been doing in regards to diaspora-led programming? So we have three main educational programs, and those are Legacies Library, Tip Cow Talk Podcast, and Cowneo's Classroom. And so like I've said, education really goes hand in hand with our advocacy work. We can't really take action on an issue if we don't know or are sharing information about it. And so we do that through our educational programs. Legacies Library, I believe, is really the only corner of the internet where you can go to learn specifically about the American Secret War in Laos, included lists of books, articles, films, children's books, and book talks where you can learn more about this history and the broader U.S. conflict in Southeast Asia. Can you tell us a little bit more about how this organization came about? It really started from a set of drawings that were collected and drawn by refugees that had lived through the bombings. And these drawings depict bombs falling on schools, fields, There's over 30 original illustrations that we have, and they were given to our founder, Chanapaka Mungsa, by a man named John Kavana, and 
he had been given to them by Fred Bramfman, who collected them. Um, And these illustrations were used in really bringing more awareness to the American public in the 70s um, about what was happening. They were really primary documents and the only victim stories that existed um, that were being used to share what was going on. And so really treasured documents that were handed over to Chanapa with the task to do something with them because they were just sitting in an office, not really being preserved. And so she took them and started Legacies of War. We still have these illustrations in our possession. They're on our website that you can see each illustration. Um, If you buy the book, The Voice from the Plane of Jars, written by Fred Bramfman, It goes into more detail about how these drawings were collected and the interactions that he had with these artists and victims. But you can read the captions on our website as well. One of them is of a school being bombed. And it says, I saw my school being bombed, but I was too afraid to look um, because I didn't want the bombs to get me. And so even in those two sentences, it's haunting. It really humanizes this issue. You know, you're hearing from the perspective of a child who lived through this. And so they've been a cornerstone to our founding and the work that we do. During the existence of Legacies of War, what would you highlight as significant accomplishments? I know we talked about the funding. That's a huge one. What else would you say are the big accomplishments? The funding is an enormous accomplishment. Not only, you know, have we grown the funding, but our founder, Chanapa, went in front of Congress for the first congressional hearing on the UXO issue in Laos, which was integral to the first real increase in funding. Legacies of War was also played a large role in getting President Obama to visit Laos after staffers had called Legacies, wanting to learn more about the issue. And so Chanapa is, you know, mentioned in his speech there and thanking her for taking on this problem. And it really brought tons of media and attention to Laos. And it was the first time that a U.S. president stood in Laos and acknowledged the bombings. And for it to have grown to $45 million, um, in this last year, $73 million for Laos, Cambodia, and Vietnam is a huge accomplishment. Legacies of War has been an important part to U.S.-Lao relations. As you can imagine, it's it's not a great relationship. <laughs> it's a It's a complex relationship. But we have really taken the time, made the investments in being a consistent voice for both sides. And it's just come with time, expertise, and just showing up, doing what we say we will do. So that's something that I know we're all really proud of. We're respected by both governments. As you can imagine, it's an important part with funding and for the progress of the issue. I also just think it's been, for me personally, it was the only reason that I found out about this history. It wasn't taught in schools and it's it's still not. I mean, there's a couple of programs around the U.S. that have since incorporated it in the last year, thanks to um, a lot of really amazing people. But it was the only reason that I learned about this history. And so I know we're really proud of 
bringing more awareness to this history and also building a community of people that are made up of veterans, diaspora, and government officials, and just uniting the people on this issue. I think it's an accomplishment to be respected by one government. And the fact that you can say we have both, you know, to governments respecting the work that we're doing. I mean, that's quite remarkable. And there is something so so true in that, like we do what we say we're going to do. And, you know, maybe sometimes it doesn't feel like you're out there with signs and and lights pointing at you, making a big show of everything you're doing. But the truth is you're really making a difference. And that's amazing. Thanks. So where does the organization go from here? What's next? So 2024, we celebrate our 20th anniversary. And we'll take every advantage we can of that celebration. We're really proud of that accomplishment of being around for 20 years. We know it's a big election year. And so we'll be working with all the people that we connected with, all the community groups this this year through our tour to continue to involve them in advocacy, um, reaching out to their members of Congress, um, letting them know that this is still an issue that's important to them. Growing our educational programs. We're a very small team. It's just myself, our CEO, and our intern. We have some seasonal interns from universities, but it's, you know, there's not enough of us working on this task. And so we're slow and steadily winning the race. We are making progress. We are seeing progress on the ground. And so we have a lot of hope, but we remain focused. There's so much going on around the world right now. There's wars. The media is not focused on Laos, Cambodia, or Vietnam. And we know that if we let up, if we stop talking about these three countries, that they will be forgotten. This decade-old, 50-year-old issue will be forgotten and funding will decrease or be stopped. And so we know that's a risk. And so we remain focused on this task. Sarah, our CEO, she is the chair. She's the current chair of the United States um, Campaign to Ban Landmines Cluster Munition Coalition. She's the first Asian American BIPOC person from a country with lived experience that's chairing this role. And so through that role, we've been able to have more of a global voice because, you know, cluster munitions are being used not just in, in Southeast Asia, but now most recently on Ukraine. So that's been a helpful tool when we talk about continuing to be able to point back to our history and continuing to encourage our global citizens, the American public, to learn from our past, to learn our own history um, as it really guides our future. And so being able to use Sarah's role as chair in talking more, including countries outside of Southeast Asia, um, has been helpful to keep legacies in the work that we do on people's minds. So she'll continue to chair the coalition this next year. So we expect to continue to urge the United States to join mind ban treaties. So is she sort of the connecting piece to legacies call to ban cluster munitions around the globe? Yes, she is you know, the, the current leading voice. Um, when 
cluster munitions when the first shipment was sent, um, when the U.S. sent their first shipment of cluster munitions to Ukraine. She received numerous inquiries from media wanting to have her talk about what cluster munitions are, why, you know, there's so much fight back of the shipment. And so she's a leading voice on that issue specifically. And like I said, it's a really incredible opportunity to also continue to keep Southeast Asia in that conversation. Minnesota, and especially the Twin Cities area, has a large Southeast Asian community. Has that led to any particular engagement with legacies of war? The community in Minnesota, there's so many people that are there that were with legacies since the beginning, since 20 years ago. And we recently did our tour stop in Minnesota this last summer, and it had been over 10 years since we had been there. But we're receiving great support from congressional members of Minnesota. And that's all thanks to its constituents. It was my first time spending any time with the Lao and Hmong community in Minnesota. I'm from North Dakota, and I had no idea that there was such a large community in Minnesota until my work with Legacies. And so it really felt like a homecoming to realize the large community that is in Minnesota. I'm sure many people in Minnesota that aren't of the diaspora are more aware of this issue because of so many refugees coming to live there. You know, so many refugees were sponsored by churches, local organizations, um, you know, in the, throughout the 60s and 70s and 80s. Um, and so it's a really special state um, alongside a, a few others in the U.S. that have a large population of Lao and Hmong refugees. But yeah, it really felt like a homecoming. And it was the first time where I could really relate to other Lao Americans that not only shared the complexities of being Lao American, but also being from the Midwest. And it was just really beautiful. And the community is so welcoming. And I know that they're all really eager to continue to stay involved with advocacy efforts. This topic is obviously really sobering serious, complex. How do you personally keep from becoming overwhelmed and discouraged? There are so many ways that I can think of therapy, uh, self-care, all these things that I'm not doing enough of. There's so many people working in traumatic and heavy spaces like me. I think it's very helpful to work alongside someone like Sarah that is, you know, very similar to me. And the fact that we're both law American and we're both, you know, seeing the same things and experiencing similar things um, and can talk about it. To have someone to talk to is really important and continue to do the things outside of legacies that I enjoy, um, you know, that give me life. But then to also continue to remind myself about the beauty of Laos. That's not just the bombs. Keep ingrained in those things like the food and the culture. But yeah, it is really heavy. And there's many days where I just close my laptop after watching parts of a documentary that I just can't continue to watch anymore that day. And so allowing yourself to take the time that you need has been something that Legacy is encouraging, you know, as we research and talk with survivors. So it's it's a really it's been a really supportive place to do this work. Danae, if our listeners 
could take away only one thing from this conversation, what would you like that to be? I think I would like it to be that we have the opportunity as Americans to learn about our own history. And this is a part of that history. And so it's important that we learn about it and we share it with our kids, with one friend, what we learned today. I like what you said about one thing, because I think it's so it's so important when you're talking about millions of unexploded ordinance. But if there's one thing that stuck out to you listening today, I think to share that with one person to continue to grow the awareness of this issue. Danae Hendrickson, it has been my very real pleasure to speak with you today. Clearly, we've just scratched the surface, but I definitely feel more informed. And I thank you for that and the work that you and your colleagues are doing. Links to the organization's website and other resources can be found in the program notes. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Jaren, for having me and for speaking with me. And come back to Minnesota anytime. Oh, I will. I will. For listening to Everyday Nonviolence. To learn more about Friends for a Nonviolent World, visit our website at fnvw.org or call 651-917-0383. We hope you will subscribe so that you don't miss future episodes and insightful conversations. Please note that the views expressed in this podcast are those of the host and guest and are not intended to reflect the official positions of FNVW, its staff, or board of directors.